This is episode number 243 with Alex Benayan. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Just a quick little reminder that if you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. So make sure you check it out today. Alex Benayan is the only internationally best-selling business author under 30 in America. His book, The Third Door, The Wild Quest to Uncover How the World's Most Successful People Launched Their Careers, has been translated into more than a dozen languages. Over the course of his unprecedented seven-year journey, he interviewed the most innovative leaders of the past half century, including Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Larry King, Maya Angelou, Steve Wozniak, Jane Goodall, Jessica Alba, Quincy Jones, and more. Now, his story is pretty interesting because the day before his freshman year final exams, he hacked the famous game show, The Price is Right. Yep. You heard me right. And I won't tell you what happened from there because I want him to tell you the story soon. And since then, he has been named to Forbes 30 Under 30 list, Business Insider's Most Powerful People Under 30, and been featured in major media, including The Washington Post, Fortune, Fox News, and NBC News. He is also an acclaimed keynote speaker, and he presents the Third Door Framework to business conferences and corporate leadership teams around the world, including Apple, Google, Nike, IMB, Snapchat, Salesforce, and Disney. Pretty cool, huh? And in this episode, we chat about his story from Hacking the Prices Right to where he is today. The three biggest lessons we can learn from the world's most successful celebrities, what Jessica Alba taught him and how it changed his life. After interviewing dozens of celebrities, what's the one person who inspired him most? His unusual strategies for bouncing back from setbacks, the number one thing he attributes his success to, the number one book he would put in the school curriculum, what he wants to work on within himself, the one thing he does every morning that sets him up for a productive day, the inspiring lessons he learned from his dad's death, plus so much more. And for everything that Alex and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 243. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Leanne at Unique Hair, and it's a five-star review called Super Soulful. And she says, 
Mel, I share your podcasts with all my friends and family. Living in Sydney, I find I'm driving a lot. I love that I can listen and re-listen to your podcasts in the car and look forward to having you as my passenger with every trip I do. I find your guests always inspiring and a wealth of information. Thank you for always putting all the important links in your show notes too. Keep on shining, beautiful lady. Kiss, kiss. From Leanne. Thank you so much, Leanne, for that beautiful heartfelt review. I'm so grateful. And I love that I get to be the passenger with you on your drives around Sydney. So if you want to be the review of the week for next week, just head on over to iTunes and leave that review right now. And without further ado, let's get this party started because I want you guys to hear this epic story. Let's bring on Alex Benayan. Alex, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. But before Thank we you dive so in, much. oh, you are so welcome. Before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Yes, I had a protein shake, a vegan protein shake, which was delicious. Mm, yum. Now, I am so excited for this conversation because (laughs) I loved your book. I read it in four days. I couldn't put it down. I was on the edge of my seat. I was so excited to get into bed every night to find out what happened next. And I mentioned (laughs) in the intro that you hacked The Price is Right, which is a game show for those that don't know. But I didn't share what happened after that because I think that you should tell the story so that we we can go on that journey with you. So can you take us back to the day before your freshman year final exams? <laughs> yeah. So I was 18 years old and I was going through this life crisis. I, you know, to understand why I was going through it, you have to understand that I'm the son of Persian Jewish immigrants in America, which essentially means I came out of the womb my mom cradled me in her arms, and then she stamped MD on my ass and just sent me on my way. <laughs> and, you know, you think it's funny, but in third grade, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween and thought I was no. cool. <laughs> now, that was my childhood. No! <laughs> and, you know, in high school, I checked all the boxes. I studied for the SATs. I took all the biology classes. I went to pre-med summer camp. And by the time I got to college, I was the pre-med of pre-meds. But very quickly, I found myself on my dorm room bed looking at this towering stack of biology books, feeling like it was sucking the life out of me. And at first, I assumed I was just being lazy, but very quickly, I began to wonder, maybe I'm not on my path. Maybe I'm on a path somebody placed me on and I'm just rolling down. So now not only did I not know what I wanted to do with my life, I had no idea how the people who I looked up to, how they did it. You know, how did Bill Gates sell his first piece of software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? Or how did Lady Gaga got her first record deal without a single hit under her belt? You know, this is what they don't teach you in school. So I just assumed there had to be a book with the answers. So I'm, you know, ripping through biographies and self-help book, assuming there had to be a book with the answers. But very quickly, I found myself left empty-handed. And that's when my naive 18-year-old thinking kicked in. I thought, well, no one's written the book I'm dreaming of reading. 
why not write it myself? You know, I thought it'd be super simple. I would just call up Bill Gates, interview him, interview everybody else. And I thought it'd be done in a few months. That I assumed would be the easy part. The hard part I figured was getting the money to fund this journey. You know, I was buried in student loan debt. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash. So there had to be a way to make some quick money. So, you know, this is exactly what you asked about. You know, at this point now, it's the night before my freshman year final exams. And I'm in the library doing what everyone's doing in the library right before finals. I'm on Facebook. And I, I see someone offering free tickets to The Price is Right, which, like you said, is the, you know, the most well-known game show in American history. And I was going to school in Los Angeles, not too far from where the show filmed. And my first thought was, what if I go on this show and win some money to fund this book? You know, not my brightest moment. Plus, I had a problem. I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. So I told myself it was a dumb idea to not think about it. But I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments where an idea just keeps clawing itself back into your mind, no matter how you know idiotic it is. Mm-hmm. So I decided that night to do the logical thing and pull an all-nighter to study. As you do. But I didn't study for finals. I said how to hack the prices right. And I went on the show the next day and I executed this you know, preposterous strategy and I ended up winning the whole final prize, winning a sailboat, selling the sailboat, and that's how I funded the book. And from there, that's how the journey took off. It took two years to track down Bill Gates. It took three years to track down Lady Gaga. And when I had started this journey, when I had started the journey, there was no part of me looking for that, you know, quote unquote, one key to success. You know, we've all seen those TED Talks or those business books, and normally I just roll my eyes. But what ended up happening over these seven years is I realized every single person I talked to, it didn't matter if it was, you know, Larry King or Jessica Alba, Steve Wozniak, they all treated life and business success the exact same way. And the analogy that came to me is that it's sort of like getting into a nightclub. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block, where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. You know, that's the first door. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go. And for some reason, school and society have this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn or you're born into it. But what I learned is that there's always, always the third door. And it's the entrance where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software or how Steven Spielberg became the youngest director in Hollywood history. They all took the third door. And, and, and then, and then what? And then what? <laughs> <laughs> well, from there, it just started getting like more and more preposterous. It took, you know, getting every interview was its own adventure. So for Larry King, I chased him through a grocery store. Uh, for, you know, the self-help author, Tim Ferriss, I had to crouch in a bathroom uh, for 30 minutes for, uh, 
you know, forever, you know, with Steven Spielberg, I almost died in the south of France, you know, chasing him on his yacht. So every, you know, story is its own adventure with Warren Buffett. It was this eight-month quest where I ended up hacking his shareholders meeting. So every story was its own adventure. And in many ways, not only were the lessons that I learned in the interviews life-changing, you know, with Bill Gates, we talked about his negotiating secrets and his sales secrets. You know, with Larry King, we talked about his secret to interviewing. Not only were the lessons I learned in the interviews life-changing, so were the journeys to get to each interview. Because many times it was my mistakes and my failures that taught me the most. Yeah, totally. Your book is called The Third Door, The Wild Quest to Uncover How the World's Most Successful People Launched Their Careers. And one of the things I loved about the book, one of the many things, is those individual quests to get (laughs) to each person. Like I literally was like hanging on. I'm like, oh, my God, no, he's not going to do – no, no. I'm like when you're talking about the Warren Buffett story, I was literally like, this is so bad. Like I was like, Alex, don't do it (laughs) when you're telling the story. And so I love that you shared that it's not – about what you learned when you finally were sitting in front of Lady Gaga, you know, Maya Angelou, Jessica Alba, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. It's what you learned on the journey there that really was where your growth happened and where you were taken to the next level. So I love that so much. But can you tell us what are the top three biggest things that you learned from all of these incredible people that you interviewed? Like what are the three biggest things and some of the most common things that they all had? Well, the first one was something that I was a bit surprised by because, you know, if you have to know something about me from my childhood, you have to know that I am the most scared kid you would ever meet. You know, if you ask my sisters what it was like growing up with me, they would tell you, you know, I had the nightlight on until I was 12. I never watched scary movies. I hated roller coasters. So, you know, it was very natural. When I started writing The Third Door, I was completely consumed by fear. And at the same point, I was just really paralyzed by fear the whole way through. So, of course, when I was going to interview all these people, a natural question for me was, how did they become so fearless? If you look at Bill Gates or Elon Musk, they had to have been fearless, or else how else they would have how else would they have achieved what they did, right? And when I went to go do the interviews, I was completely surprised by the answers. Because what I learned is that not only were every single one of these people scared in the beginning, but they were also completely terrified the whole way through. And that didn't make any sense to me. And what I learned is that it wasn't fearlessness they achieved. It was courage. And while the words sound very similar, the difference is critical. You know, fearlessness is jumping off the cliff and not thinking about it. You know, that's idiotic. Courage, on the other hand, is acknowledging your fear, analyzing the consequences and then deciding you care so much about it, you're still going to take one thoughtful step forward anyway. So that's been something that really changed me. Another thing that changed me came from my interview with Quincy Jones, where I really learned 
more about the relationship between success and failure. And I had always assumed the opposite of success is failure. But it wasn't until that interview with Quincy Jones that I realized that success and failure actually aren't opposites. They're just different results of the same thing. So the opposite of success isn't failure. The opposite of success is not trying. And a third thing that, you know, of course, came to me throughout the journey is many times, and you know, you'll appreciate this since you, you know, read the book already, life will keep hitting you over the head with the same lessons until you listen. And while there's, you know, a lot of, you know, practical tools and lessons from all the different interviews, if I had to zoom out and look at one of the big themes, it's that life will just keep hitting you over the head with the same lesson until you listen. And thankfully on this journey, halfway through, I started to listen. Which interview surprised you the most? Hmm. I would say it was probably the interview with Jessica Alba. You know, I knew what a lot of people know about Jessica Alba. She's, you know, one of the most well-known actresses in the world. She started The Honest Company, which is a billion-dollar startup. And what she didn't know when I was going into this interview is my dad had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a few weeks earlier. So while I was sitting in, you know, the waiting room of Jessica Alba's office, I was just sort of reminding myself, you know, I need to, you know, focus on the, you know, the task at hand, stop thinking about, you know, cancer and, you know, stop thinking about death. And when I went into the interview, I decided I really wanted it to, you know, stay positive, you know, just focus on Jessica Alba. And I asked her, you know, a question that I thought would just make this the most positive interview. I was like, you know, what is the best lesson your mom ever taught you? I thought that would be like a good warm-up question. And she sits back in her chair. She goes, well, my mom taught me to appreciate every moment you have with your parent because you never know when it's going to be the last. And I was literally like, I felt like I got punched in the gut. And, you know, Jessica Alba like keeps going on. She's like, you know, I learned from my mom to, you know, really appreciate every, you know, second you have with your parent, you know, no matter what. And, you know, she just kept going on. She's like, you know, you never know when life is going to be over in a snap. And I literally was in so much pain. I like had to change the subject. So I asked her another question that I knew what the answer would be. I asked her, I'm like, how'd you start the honest company? Because, you know, I've heard her answer that question a dozen times in different interviews, and it's always a very positive, uplifting story. And this time she, for some reason, goes, I was thinking about death. And she went on to explain how when she was pregnant with her first daughter, she was realizing if life can come into this world so easily, it can leave so easily. So she wanted to create products that you know, lead to healthy, healthier and happier lives. And it was so painful hearing Jessica Alba talk about how cancer has such a deep history in her family. And literally, she just kept talking about death and cancer, death and cancer, until literally I just blurted out, you know, my dad has pancreatic cancer. And normally when... 
I would share that with people. You know, they would lower their voice and you know, say, I'm so sorry. Jessica Alba, for some reason, did the opposite. She like slapped her hand on the couch and she was like, fuck. And it felt like she was lifting a weight off my shoulders I didn't even know existed. And from that point on, it was no longer an interview. And, you know, not only did I end up learning incredible lessons from her about business and su success, talking with her that day made me feel less alone about what I was going through. And that's one of the greatest gifts anyone can give you. Mm, wow. So beautiful. Who out of all of the people besides that story inspired you the most, like inspired you in your business? Hmm. So what's cool about the book is that while there's a lot of well-known people, you know, like Jessica Alba and Bill Gates, there's also some lesser known people. And by far the least known person in the book, in my opinion, is one of the coolest, and his name is Chi Lu. And Chi Lu grew up in a rural village outside of Shanghai, China, with no running water and no electricity. There, you know, people were so impoverished that people walked around with deformities for malnutrition. And, you know, Chi Lu was really smart and, he, you know, he worked really hard his whole life and, you know, got into college and by age 27 was making the most money he's ever made in his life. $7 a month. And then fast forward 20 years later, and he's a president at Microsoft. And it's one of the most remarkable stories that is never talked about in Silicon Valley. And it's honestly a testament to what's possible. It's the ultimate testament to what's possible. Mm. Throughout the book, you continue to get knocked down. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, that's one way to put it for sure. And you spoke before about courage, but how actually how long was the whole process of of writing this book? How many years? It was a 7-year journey. Okay, so 7 years you are traveling all around the world on your mission to interview these celebrities to find out their secrets to success. And you keep getting knocked down and knocked down and rejected yeah. and knocked down and rejected and knocked down. And I loved your pure determination and your passion. I just thought it was so beautiful to read about. But I know that there would have been times where you're like, hands in the air, okay, I'm out. I'm done. I am so done. <laughs> How did you push through those times? Because we all feel those times. So how did you get back up and keep going? So you're right. I had moments where I completely gave up and I felt this isn't worth it. The amount of pain and suffering and rejection was just unbearable. And the key is I didn't push through it. What I've learned is that you know, if you open Instagram, there's like a million people yelling at you to, you know, keep going, keep pushing, keep going. And what I've learned is that it can be really brutal, especially when you're starting something new. It doesn't matter if you're starting a business, writing a book, 
starting a new role at your company, you know, starting anything new, it can be extremely painful. And the biggest thing when I've been the most burnt out, when I've been completely on the floor, just completely dejected, the biggest thing that saved me, and it's like the most counterintuitive advice in like 2019, is to take a fucking break. Yes. And like, especially for someone like myself, who's like, so like, you know, work as much as possible. You know, it is shocking what happens when you actually give your body like 24 hours of rest. And when you're an entrepreneur or you're starting something new, it feels very counterintuitive because, you know, every minute you're not working is a minute, you know, it feels like you're wasting. But what I've learned is that while, you know, wasting time isn't good, what's worse than wasting time is to push yourself so hard that you completely burn out and you give up on your project altogether. And, you know, it's not the end of the world if you like turn off your phone for two hours and go for a walk or you go get some ice cream or, you know, you go watch some, you know, watch a movie that night. Now, if you're doing that every day for years, you know, it's probably not the best, you know, way to go about it. But there are times where you will be so dejected where if you just push through, you will just harden and harden and harden to the point where you'll forget why you even started in the first place. Yeah, I agree. And so what would you do in those times that you took off? Would you just go for a walk or, yeah, what are some of the things that you did to... <laughs> it depends how bad the, 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 the rejection was. Like a whole tub of ice cream? <laughs> it, it, I'm never that bad, but like, no, there were like with Warren Buffett, you know, I spent eight months tracking him down and it ended up, even though I ended up hacking a shareholders meeting, it sort of like blew up in my face. Um, I remember with that, I took literally a couple weeks of just, and I wasn't like, quote unquote, giving myself a break as much as I just was like, I felt like I was giving up. But what ended up happening is by, you know, staying in bed and sort of pulling the covers over my head, I was able to relax. And only after relaxing and like getting some sleep, and I became a normal human being again, and I was able to get back at it. Mm. It's like, that's sometimes when you take that space the clarity then comes. And, you know, for me, I last weekend, I flew to Melbourne on Saturday and gave it my first ever TED talk on Sunday. And so I flew in on Saturday, I had a rehearsal all day. And then my TED talk was Sunday. And then I flew back Sunday night. And when I got back yesterday, which is Monday, you know, my husband said to me, make sure you take some time for you today. And I was like, Oh yeah, like I I was like, "Oh yeah, of, of yeah. course, you know, I just I just worked all weekend and flew and you know, I've been working on this talk for so long and so I was like, "Yes, oh my gosh." And I was feeling a little bit exhausted. And so I turned my phone off. I went to the beach after lunch and I ended up falling asleep on the beach for I was <laughs> I was literally there for I think three and a half hours. Oh my goodness. I, I, I wasn't hope you were in sunscreen. <laughs> I wasn't asleep the whole time. Like I was I was reading a book, but that for me was 
so healing and rejuvenating, just going to the beach with my phone off, a book, having a little nap, and just having time to myself was so rejuvenating and exactly what I needed. And so now I've woken up today, which is Tuesday morning here in Australia, and I feel fully revitalized and energized. So right. I I love that, you know, those times where you got knocked down, it wasn't yeah. about the, the think positive mantra. It was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to give myself some time. And I think the reality is that, look, a lot of people have really tough situations. You know, I know people who are working two or three jobs to make money to pay for their kids' cancer treatment or someone who, you know, is struggling to, you know, literally just get enough money together to pay for their friends or, you know, their loved ones, you know, rehab bills. You know, life is very tough. So I'm definitely not, you know, telling people to stop working and go watch movies every night. But the reality is if you are in a place where you are just getting beat up over and over and over again, which is a natural part of the entrepreneurial journey at times. Again, the worst thing is not, you know, wasting a couple hours. The worst thing is pushing yourself so hard that you completely burn out or God forbid, make a horrendous decision that, you know, ruins your company. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've had a lot of success with this book. So, and everyone's definition of success is different. But what do you attribute your success to? I was thinking about this on, a, on an airplane a couple of days ago. And it's, I think it has a lot to do. I and mean, this might sound like a little ambiguous, but. To me, it feels very clear. I've realized that a lot of people in life, you know, they might have their eyes open, but they're not looking. Mm. You know, they might be listening, but they're not hearing. And if I had to attribute, you know, where I am in life to one thing, it would be somehow mustering the courage to no matter how scary or painful it might be to look, to keep looking. And I think what happens a lot is life gets very, you know, various moments, very scary or very painful. And it's very natural for a human being to recoil in the face of pain. You know, you get rejected, you want to, you know, retreat. Even if you're in a relationship and a voice inside of you is telling you like, this isn't, something's wrong here. Most people like don't want to, you know, hear that voice. So they'll drown it out by going out to dinner or buying a new pair of shoes or whatever. And while I won't necessarily always have the answers, what I've noticed over the years is that I somehow am able to find the courage to sit and listen to that whisper, no matter how you know painful or uncomfortable it might be. And I think over the years, that whisper has guided me to making all the best, but also the most painful and hard decisions of my life. Yep. That little voice, it's always there. We just need to kind of quieten down and get still. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's so uncomfortable mm-hmm. to listen mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> it's never telling you something good. It's never like you're, the winning lottery numbers mm-hmm. are like, it's never like something like that. It's always like something is horribly mm-hmm. wrong here. This isn't right. Mm. Right. 
So you've spent seven years on this quest to learn from the biggest celebrities and most successful people in the world. Now, what's your mission? What's the mission moving forward? You know, when I, you know, when I started this book, I wanted it to be, you know, the initial dream was for it to be, you know, the most practical, you know, packed with wisdom book I could make. And, you know, just packing all of these tools and tactics into 300 pages. And in many ways, part of that, you know, came true, you know, in the book, like I said, is, you know, the okay, it's negotiating secrets and Tim Ferriss's cold email templates. But only now that the book is out, can I see that the soul of the book is much deeper. You know, what I can see now is the soul of this book is really about possibility. And if I've learned one thing over the past seven years, it's that you can give someone all the best tools and tactics in the world and their life can still feel stuck. But if you change what someone believes is possible, they'll never be the same. And there's this one story that I read during my research. I can't even remember where I read it, but it's the story of this teacher who's teaching for this program called Teach for America in a very rough neighborhood, a very tough part of town. So I think she's teaching maybe, you know, third or fourth graders. So she realizes these young kids, you know, need some inspiration. So she decides, you know, today, instead of our math lesson, we're all going to draw pictures of our biggest dream in life. You know, what we want to be when we grow up. So the teacher starts passing out, you know, paper and crayons and the kids start coloring, except for this one boy sitting in the back of the class. And the teacher realizes, you know, he doesn't even pick up a crayon and his face is pretty stoic. And then like 30 minutes later, his eyes light up and he starts coloring. And, you know, at the end, the teacher, you know, tells everyone to pass in their papers and the kids go home. And then at the end of the day, the teacher's going through them and she sees that that young boy drew a picture of a pizza delivery man. And the teacher was very concerned. So she called the mother that night and the mother said that she wasn't surprised. The mother said that the only male figure in his life who's not in jail or on drugs is his uncle who delivers pizza. And what I took from that story is that young people will always reach for the highest branch they believe is possible. They will always reach for the highest branch they believe is possible. So it's our jobs, whether it's school or society or you know the media at large, to illuminate more branches. And that's the mission moving forward. Mm. Wow. That's a really powerful story. Holy moly. Now, besides The Third Door, your incredible book, if you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around Mm. the world, besides your book, let's pretend that's already there (laughs) because it should be, what is one book that you would choose? Just one. When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. And it's a book that has changed my life tremendously. And it's a book about exactly what the title says, when things fall apart, when life completely unravels. 
it helps you, this book shows you, it almost like reprograms the way I live because the way I viewed the world when my life was falling apart was unmanageable. And this book became my guide of how to view what was going on around me and how Mm. I could heal. I've not read it, but I'm really excited to. It's really good. When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes as well as your book so everyone can go and check those out. So thank Thank you you for sharing that. What are you working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Hmm. On a like a practical level, just something that's like been top of mind the past couple of weeks is like working out a lot more because even though I do like go for runs and stuff, just with the book coming out last year, I pretty much have just been on, you know, sprint mode. And especially so with the book coming out and with, you know, like I mentioned, hard times, you know, family wise, I've really been focusing on like my mental and emotional health, uh, you know, going to therapy every week, you know, journaling, going to, you know, different support groups. But I do feel like I want to start putting some energy into my physical health, which I used to do a lot of, um, but I want to put more energy into that. And another thing that I've been aware of and I'm doing better at it is not comparing my journey to anyone else's because mm. it's very easy to, you know, go on Instagram right before bed and open it up and see someone else who's sold more books than you or does a different, you know, there's a million other things that you can compare yourself to. And to me, it just creates this like spiral of like, I'm not enough. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it becomes like harder to pull myself out. So it's something I'm trying to bring awareness to. Mm, yeah, so powerful. And once you're aware that you're doing it, you can then catch it and then change it and flip it. And I think that is really important. Don't get caught in that comparison spiral. Yeah, totally. So I love hearing about how people's days look and how people set themselves up for the day. Like, do you have a morning routine? How do you prime yourself for the day so that you set yourself up for a successful day? I, When I was writing, I had a much more routine life because I needed to just like get up and write every day. Now that it's more like book tour schedule, it's a bit chaotic because it's like sometimes I'm waking up at 4 a.m. to catch a flight. Sometimes, you know, I'm in a city in between gigs and I have a full day to myself. So like every day is a little different. The one thing that I do have in common every day is I do meditate once in the morning, once in the afternoon, so twice a day for 20 minutes. And I do transcendental meditation. And... You know, I didn't do it for like spiritual reasons in the beginning. I did it literally because like it got to the point where, you know, I'm writing a book, studying success. And I just kept reading all these articles of like Oprah Winfrey does this thing called transcendental meditation. Ray Dalio does this thing called transcendental meditation. Jerry Seinfeld started this thing called transcendental meditation and swears by it. Ellen DeGeneres. It started getting to the point of like, you know, if all the people, let's say you want to like be a famous, you know, rugby player and you read that all successful rugby players 
take this red pill every morning. You'd be like, all right, I'll try it for a weekend and see what happens. <laughs> like literally just like out of like curiosity and it completely changed my life. Yes, me too. Me too. It's just, it kept on popping up for me everywhere. And I was struggling with anxiety. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I started it. And I've been doing it now for about eight years. And honestly, it's changed my life changed my life. And that doesn't mean like each session I'm like skipping to my meditation cushion, like, yay, I'm so excited. Like some days there's resistance. But like we were speaking about at the start of this call is I still got up and I still put one foot in front of the other and I showed up. And that has been the biggest and most impactful thing for me in my life. Like just yeah. continuously showing up to my meditation cushion. It's, it is honestly, it's changed my life. Yeah. So I'd love to hear now in the book, you share a story about your dad, but you haven't shared that here with us today. I'd love to, I'd love for you to share that story with us after, you know, what happened with Jessica Alba, you know, what happened from there? Well. Yeah, sadly, with pancreatic cancer, even if you catch it very early, there's still only a 10% chance of survival. And my dad, two years ago, passed away. And yeah, it was by far one of the most you know painful and sad times in my life. I'm really, at the same time, too, my sister's, you know stepped up in ways I've never seen them step up before. My mom, you know, I saw sides of her I didn't even know existed. And yeah, standing at your dad's bedside and watching him take his final breath definitely changes you, Mm. whether you want to or not. And while I am grateful to have that last year with my dad, it definitely wasn't easy. It was by far, you know, one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. And part of, you know, you, you and I had talked about this earlier, which was about, you know, keeping your eyes, not only keeping your eyes open, but looking. When my dad was dying, like I wasn't just, you know, showing up and giving me a hug and leaving. I was like, you know, I was sitting with him at his chemo treatments. I was there, you know, sort of like a in the front row with him. And it felt like I was able to see sort of the ending of life towards the beginning of mine. You know, I was only, mm-hmm. you know, 24 years old. And it taught me a lot, you know, a chaplain who I met his name is Chaplain Kevin, and he really guided my family through this process towards the end. He has this great quote that says, you know, the way you die, uh, you die the way you live. You die the way you live. And, you know, some people on their deathbed are peaceful. Some people are angry. Some people are resentful. Some people are communicative. Some people are not communicative, you know, and people are always like, why are they acting this way? And the truth is, that, you know, you die the way you live. And the inverse of that is true too. So if you want to 
die peacefully, then you should probably be a bit more thoughtful about living peacefully too. That's a quote there. That's a big quote. You die the way you live. That is huge. Huge. And what a beautiful lesson to get at such a young age. And for me, I, one of my best friends passed away from cancer and another one took her own life last year. Ah. And, you know, they, that has taught me so much. And those things you don't think would happen to you in your 20s to lose people, you know, like that. Yeah. And, but it taught me so much. It taught me how to live. Losing my best friend taught me how to live and taught me the meaning of life. And it changed my life forever. Hmm. And it's tough, right? You never want to, you know, it's not something you want, you would ever wish upon anyone else at the same time. You have a choice of either resenting it or trying to accept it and learn from it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're doing a really beautiful job, and I'm sure he would be so proud of you and be cheering you on. And yeah, just be so proud of you. Wow. What an amazing achievement and human being you are. What a beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, Absolute pleasure. Now, Alex, I'd love to hear what are you most recently grateful for? What are three things? Mm, what a lovely question. Mm. Grateful for my health. I'm grateful for the weather. And I'm grateful for. I just got back from Japan and it was probably one of the coolest trips of my life because the book just became the number one book in all of Japan. So well done. Thank you. So I'm grateful for that. That's awesome. It's awesome. Have you got an audio version of it yet? Yes. So the audio book is out and it's actually the book is rated fairly well on Amazon. I think it's like 4.8, 4.8, but the audiobook is even rated like 4.9 on Audible with wow. like thousands of reviews. Wow, do you read it? Yes, I, I yes. recorded it myself. <laughs> I poured like everything I had into that recording session. I got a fun fact, which no one knows, is that I even took vocal training to prepare for the audiobook with the same vocal coach who's like Coach Michael Jackson, Justin Bieber. So... Justin Timberlake. So I like really poured a hundred percent of myself into the audiobook. So if people like audiobooks, and like we even like created an original like soundtrack for the opening and the closing of it. So it's really fun. Awesome. Because I was thinking, I read both of my books, the audio version of those as well. And I get a lot of feedback from people saying how nice it is to have the author read the book. Yeah. And I was just thinking yours would be, although I read it, but yours would be so good to listen to just because of all the <laughs> stories. You. I might have to get the audio version as well because I think it'd be awesome. That is 
very, very kind of you. And I know what it's like, like reading your own audiobook. It is, you know, it takes days and it's oh, yeah. a lot of love and time and energy investment, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. All right, Alex, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Let's Are you ready? It. Let's do it. Okay. So what is one thing that we can do today for our health, to improve our health? Just one tip. Be kind to yourself. Mm, Yeah, love it. And so, so important. Okay, the next one. What's one thing we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all the areas of our life. Invest in yourself, both with your time and with your resources. Yeah, love it. And what's one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Oh my God, these are great questions. Love yourself. And I love how the themes are so similar. How my answers had a theme to them by accident. Yes, I love it. With with the interview with Quincy Jones, he said something I'll never forget. He said, no one can love you until you learn to love you. No one can love you until you learn to love you. And if you want more loving relationships in your life, more loving friendships, more loving romantic relationships, the best thing you can do is start learning how to love yourself. Yes, 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 yes. And it's something I'm working on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so big and amazing. Wow. Alex, this has been so much fun. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd love to talk about? I am just so great. This was so fun. It feels like we like recapped the entire, you know, journey of writing the book just in the past, you know, hour. And I just want to say thank you. You're so welcome. I love the concept of the third door. And you're right. There is always a third door. No matter where you're at in life right now, no matter how big the mountain that you're staring up at feels to you, there is a way. There is a third door and you can find it and you can get through it. Whether you have to climb up a ladder and like sneak through the (laughs) kitchen door, you will get in there. And I just really want to remind everybody of that, whatever it is, whether it's to do with your career or a relationship or your health, whatever mountain you're staring at, there is a way, there is a third door. You can get through it and you will find it. Sometimes it just might take a little bit of going around the back and searching to find it, but you will find it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Alex, my last question for you is, I'm a massive believer in service and Mm. I want to know what I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today. How can we serve you? Hmm. Hmm. What a kind question. In addition to being kind to yourself and loving yourself, you know, what I care, you know, my biggest passion right now is sharing the message of the third door and sharing this message of possibility. So, you know, if people end up, you know, getting the book by listening to this, getting the audiobook by listening to this, let me know, you know, share with your friends, let me know on social media so I can say thank you because it is my biggest passion. So that would definitely be something I'd be extremely grateful for. 
Awesome. And are you mostly active on Instagram? Because we can link to that in the show notes. Yes. Instagram is super easy. It's at Alex Benayan. And the book is wherever people like to get books. So like you said, it's on Audible. It's at bookstores. It's on Amazon. And I would love to say thank you. And we'll link to it in the show notes so everyone can go and check it out. It's such a good read. You really do go on the journey with Alex. And it it's so fun. You know, I found myself so excited to get back into bed every night to kind of go, oh, where's he at now? And what's the next adventure that he's going on? So if you are looking for a book that's going to really inspire you and take you on a journey, then this is definitely it. And Alex, it's been incredible connecting with you. And thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us and for writing this incredible book. I'm so grateful and I've loved our connection today. Thank you so much. What a great conversation and such an interesting story and journey that Alex has been on. How amazing would it be to just learn and sit and have conversations in person with those people? So amazing. And if you got lots out of today like I did, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty cool. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you guys get from each episode. So please come and share them with me. And for everything that Alex and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 243. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so, so, so much for being here every week, twice a week. Gosh, I love you. And I just love that you want to be the best and the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself. And I want to congratulate you. Give yourself a little pat on the back for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.